the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own home. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all, that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Very early on in my process toward ordination, uh, I was still in the Air Force, and the bishop at the time, Bishop Craig Anderson, was... Uh, leaving the Diocese of South Dakota and was going to go on to be the president and dean of General Seminary in New York. So Lou and I went back to South Dakota to celebrate with him and with the diocese at the cathedral uh, to celebrate his ministry in South Dakota over, I think, nine or twelve years. I have great respect for him to this day, a wonderful preacher, and he did a tremendous amount in that place that has so much need. Well, we stayed through the dinner, had a wonderful time. Toward the end of the meal, I went over to his mother and father. There were some other family members of his who were there as well. And I, I greeted them and talked to them a little bit. And the thing that was so amazing to me was that I had this picture of Bishop Anderson of a person who had so much authority over me and had so much power in my life at that particular time, although he was leaving that position, but still I saw him as this person that was very important to my future, as potentially as a priest. And then I heard his mother talk about him as a child. And frankly, I was a bit uh, upset by it. It was uncomfortable. I didn't want to know about that. <laughs> To me, he was my bishop. To her, he was her child and would never be her bishop. <laughs> I hope that as long as Lou and I are married, <laughs> that I will be Lou's husband. 
but I won't be her priest. And I dare say that even Barack Obama will always be Michelle's husband, but not her president. There's something about a relationship that goes deep and far back in our lives that it, it, it keeps us there in some way. We may know that person after years of going on to do something else, but still we remember them as who they are when they were with us many years ago. Well, the gospel lesson we have this morning, we find Jesus put in a situation much like that. Uh, Mark, as you recall, last Sunday showed Jesus in Capernaum and he had healed the woman with the hemorrhage for 12 years. He also had raised from the dead the little girl, the daughter of one of the leaders of the uh, synagogue. So Jesus had done great things in Capernaum. And now he goes back to his hometown, to Nazareth, about 20 miles from uh, Capernaum. And the, the way that Mark start, starts out this particular account is the way we would expect to hear it. He says that it's Sabbath and Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. And the people who hear him are amazed at the wisdom that he has. And they're overwhelmed, it seems, by the great deeds that he has done, the power that he has exhibited. But then they start to question. And someone says, isn't that the son of Mary? Now, the thing is so important about that is that uh, people, men especially, were referred to in terms of the name of their father. So we have uh, Simon bar Jonah, for example, Simon, the son of Jonah. But we don't have Jesus bar Joseph. And in Mark in particular, Joseph's name is not mentioned in association with Jesus. So that little bit where it says, isn't this the son of Mary, was really an insight into perhaps some of the gossip that had been going around in Nazareth about Jesus' birth and his conception. Who was he really? Who really was his father? And then they go on to say that they know his brothers and his sisters are right there with, with them. And then they say, we know who he is. He's the carpenter. The Yale historian Ramsey McMullen has written about social pedigree in the Greco-Roman world. And based on his work, it's clear that if someone was identified as a carpenter, it was obvious that they were of the lower class. This was someone who had to work with his hands, not someone who was of the upper class and didn't have to do that. So immediately what's happened to Jesus as he has come home to the synagogue, he's been identified as this person whose lineage is not very clear and somewhat questionable. And they remember him as the carpenter. How then could he be this person of great power? How could he have any wisdom at all? As I was working on this sermon, I found myself trying to understand why it was that I was feeling uncomfortable with it. And finally, I've decided that uh, what it is that's, that it disturbed me as I was working on it was that of all the places we read about Jesus in the Gospels, I think that this is one of the very few where Jesus is not in control. Even when he's standing before Pilate, 
Jesus seems to be in control of the situation, but not in his hometown. And what we hear is that at the end of the account that Mark gives us, he says that Jesus could not do any great deeds of power there. And then finally ends it by saying that he was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus seems to have been caught off guard. All of a sudden he realizes he could not do what he had done in his own hometown in Nazareth. And he was also surprised of their unbelief. And perhaps perhaps part of what's disturbing about this is that we see Jesus ourselves in one light and we look at those who are hearing him and in his presence who cannot see who he really is. To these people in Nazareth, they can only see him on a human level. They challenged him not about his wisdom or about his great deeds, but they challenged him because of his class. Jesus had overreached and that was not acceptable. And because of that, they could not see him as anything other than the son of Mary, and the carpenter. They couldn't see the Messiah standing before them in their very midst. I think what's also disturbing about this is the realization that I come to that perhaps I have dismissed people who have been in my presence offering wisdom, offering a gift, and I dismiss them out of hand simply because of my prejudices and my biases, because of the culture that I've been raised in that's formed me, because of the experiences in my life that have formed me as well. I have not been able to see the goodness sometimes standing right in front of me, speaking to me, wisdom. And what's perhaps even more disturbing is the realization that our human institutions and our church have also been limited and perhaps have limited the movement of the Holy Spirit because of prejudice and bias. How many souls seeking God and looking for fellowship in a community of faith have been turned away by the church century after century. And so I think there are many reasons why I might find this particular passage a bit disturbing. But there's more in it that's problematic. It's that bit at the end of this first half of what we read today, where Mark says he could not do any deed of power there. Now, you know, Mark is the earliest gospel. Matthew cleans it up a little bit. Matthew writes that he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. Matthew seems to introduce the idea that Jesus somehow chose not to do any deeds of power there. But that's not what Mark says. Mark says he could not do any deed of power there. And then he adds he was amazed at their unbelief. I find it interesting that faith is not mentioned in many of the miracles that are presented by Mark. And so it'd be incorrect, I think, for us to assert that divine miracles somehow simply depend on faith. But there's another reality. Faith is our openness to receive that which is God, which God is wanting to give to us.
the good things that God is extending to us, our faith somehow makes us receptive to that, able to receive God's gifts. So I believe that it's in the hostility that Jesus found in his hometown that made it impossible for him to act with power in that community. Even though it said he healed many people, (laughs) they brought people to him and he touched them and he healed them. But apparently there were other things that Jesus did that were demonstrations of great power of who he was. The other thing that's uh, interesting to me about this is that we have no indication anywhere in the gospel that Jesus went back to Nazareth to try to change their minds. He simply moved on. And what we hear immediately following that first section of what was read this morning is that Jesus went among the many villages and continued to teach and to heal. And you'll notice also that when he sends out the disciples, he tells them, if they don't receive you, if they don't receive your message, the good news, then leave. And as a testimony to them, shake the dust off of your sandals. I wondered how much of that was a little bit of bitterness that Jesus just had to express about what he had experienced in Nazareth, how he must have wanted to take the dust off of his sandals as he left his own hometown. I think it's important for us to see that the gospel comes to us many, many times, but we should always be careful because we may be hardening our own hearts if we continue to close ourselves off from the gospel. Because there are clear examples in today's text where at some point, perhaps, we won't be offered that message again. Today, the church is Jesus' community. We are Jesus' family, his brothers and sisters. And you'll recall that even his brothers and sisters and his mother at one point went to a house where he was teaching and healing And they asked him to come out. They wanted to take him home. They thought he was crazy. We, too, can reject him as crazy if he doesn't fit in the box that we want to put him in. And that was the problem in Nazareth. It must not be a problem for us. Can we at Trinity and Concord or can we, the church, gathered at General Convention in Indianapolis this week, Can we open ourselves to the possibility that Jesus might come to us with a message, with something that might be different than we would expect him to bring us? Might we hear from him something that we had never heard before and wonder, is this him? Is this the Messiah? Can we be an expectant church, open to the power of the good news, and the good things that Jesus wants to offer us. May it never be said about us or about the Episcopal Church that he was amazed at their unbelief. Amen.